Psalm 19. What's that? Turn my mic on. Now, I said I was going to do that, and I didn't do it. Could we stand together? I know I just you just sat down, but could we stand together as we read this? Psalm 19, verses 1 through 14. Verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race, his going forth is from the end of the heaven, and a circuit unto the ends of it. There is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Well, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Oh, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, then much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression." Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Father, thank you again for the privilege of being in your house. Thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, you'd again speak to our hearts. Enlighten our eyes. Um, I pray, Lord, the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth as we look into this passage. pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated once again. So, here we find David as the human author once again of this psalm. Now, we don't know exactly when he wrote this particular psalm or what what part of his life in which he penned it. It, Could it have been one night as he tended his sheep? There is the youngest son in Jesse's home, and he had the menial task of uh, caring for the sheep. Could it have been then? Or could it have been when he was on the run from King Saul for his life when Saul was uh, trying to destroy David because of jealousy? Could have been then. Could it have been when he was king or when he was out in the wilderness as king running from his own son Absalom? Well, we don't know exactly, but we do know that these are beautiful words. And not only are they beautiful words, they're life-changing words. And I hope that your life will be changed because of the time spent in Psalm 19. Now, the major theme of Psalm 19 is the glory of God, and that's the title of the message tonight, the glory of God. Now, the word glory here means that which constitutes the glory or honor of God. It refers to His wisdom, His power, His skill, His faithfulness, His benevolence. His greatness and majesty. And in this psalm, we learn how the glory of God is displayed and declared 
to this world. So how does David say that the glory of God is displayed or declared? And we're going to answer that question this morning as we go through this, or this evening as we go through this psalm. First of all, we see that the glory of God is displayed through His works. It's displayed through His works. And verse number 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Now these heavens, the, the night sky with the moon and the stars. Now here in Oklahoma, it, we have a little light pollution, so when you look up at night, uh, you don't get to see the stars in all of their glory and beauty. Um, there are places, I'm sure, here in Oklahoma where you can. But I do remember one time uh, I was camping with uh, my brother-in-law, and we did a little men and boys camp out there at the church in Montana. And we went way up high into the mountains. And uh, we were, I want to say, about eight or 9,000 feet in elevation. And uh, we were out in the middle of nowhere, and so there was no light pollution. And, 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 and we got there towards uh, dusk, and, and as that dusk turned to night, we looked up, and we saw the stars, and it was, it, it, it wasn't just a bunch of stars. I mean, it was like this, these clusters of stars. It just all blended together, and it almost looked like this um, um, creamy uh, stream in the sky. And it was just all of these stars that, that God had created that were on display for us. You think about the distances that uh, between some of these heavenly bodies, between earth and the moon and and the stars. Someone has pictured the distance as follows. If it cost a penny to ride 1,000 miles. Okay, so if it, you have a penny and it'll take you 1,000 miles. Here's how much a trip to the moon would cost. It would cost $2.38. If, if you had one penny for every 1,000 miles. So it cost you $2.38. Now, a trip to the sun would cost you $930. That's pretty far away. But listen to this. A trip to the nearest star would cost $260 million. Friend, that that means that star is pretty far away. It's actually, I looked it up, this star is four light years away, which equals to 23.5 trillion miles away. That's the nearest star. Unbelievable. Now, the Bible says that the heavens cannot be measured and the stars are without number. Before the invention of the telescope, man could only see a few hundred stars at the most. Yet today we know that the stars are innumerable and that space is seemingly infinite. It's been calculated that there are 300 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy alone. In 1999, observations by NASA astronomers using the Hubble Space Telescope suggested that there are 125 billion galaxies in the universe. Okay, we're the Milky Way, and the Milky Way is so vast in itself. And yet, there's, they, they estimated that 125 billion galaxies, not just stars, galaxies, not just planets, galaxies, Well, the most up-to-date star count was announced in July of 2003, and it could be, there there could be a more recent one, uh, but the article I read here, 
uh, said that the, uh, the star count was 70 sextillion observable stars. That's seven with 22 zeros after it. Now, the team of scientists that produced this figure included uh, a bunch of different guys here. I won't go through all their names. But the, the study, which is considered 10 times more accurate than previous ones, was a part of the world's largest galaxy survey. The team did not physically count the stars. Okay, <laughs> That would have taken a while. Too long. Uh, but instead, they used some of the world's most powerful telescopes to count all of the galaxies in one region of the universe and then to estimate how many stars each galaxy contained by measuring its brightness. They then extrapolated these figures to, out to the whole universe visible through the telescope, uh, through telescopes. This massive figure, of course, probably covers only a tiny percentage of the actual stars. Scientists actually believe that there are more stars in the universe than all the grains of sand on the earth. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that blow your mind? It's kind of unbelievable, but that's actually the facts. And to think that God gave only five words to describe his creation of these stars on the fourth day, where the Bible simply says, he made the stars also. Amazing. And yet all of these stars are sermons pointing to the glory of God. I want us to see here this display of uh, his works. First of all, I want us to see here that it is a continual display. Verse number two, look at this. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. So every day and every night is nature screaming to this world that God exists and that God is great, and that God created all that we know and see. Every day and every night is a sermon pointing to the glory of God. It is ever on display. It's a continual display. From the very first day Adam and Eve were alive, they looked up into the skies and saw the same stars that you and I get to see. Think about that. Adam and Eve saw the same stars that you can see tonight. They got to see them. Amazing. You see, uh, the, this amazing display of God's glory has ever, always been on display. So it's a continual display. But it's also a universal display. Verse number three says, There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Say there, there's, they, they don't have speech, they don't have language, but... Everybody knows what they're saying. The Bible says in verse 4, Their line has gone out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. These, look, not everyone can see the wonders of the Grand Canyon. How many have been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, a lot of us have. Most of us have. Uh, how many have seen the giant redwood trees in California? Okay, many of you guys have done that. How many of you have been to Victoria Falls in Zambia? Yeah, me neither. I'd like to go see that. That would be pretty amazing. What about the cliffs of Mohair in Ireland? Anybody been there? I'd love to go there. That'd be pretty, pretty neat. What about to the top of Mount Everest? No, I'd, 
I'd probably know it if you did. That's pretty amazing. Uh, the sand dudes of the Sahara Desert. No, probably, oh, he's been there. Okay. But Scott's been there. Look, not everybody's been to all these places. So not everybody's able to see all of these wonders that God had created here on earth. But everybody on earth has seen the heavens. Everybody has seen those. So it's a universal display. It's not just for the select few who get to travel the world. No, it's for everybody to see. Everybody can know that there is indeed a creator. And Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So everybody who has eyes to see is able to see the heavens that God created to declare his glory. And everyone is without excuse. The heavens declare the glory of God and his, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Uh, let's pick it up here in verse number four. It says, Their lines gone throughout all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for sun. And now it's, they're pointing to the, to the sun here. In verse five, David's using this language, which as a bridegroom coming, coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit under the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. So this, this sun that, it, and we know that the, the, it's the earth that rotates. We know that. But he's using language like we would do. Like, it looks like the sun is moving. It looks like the, it's the sun that's moving and going around, not us. And so he's using that type of language here. He's saying it's, his going forth is from the end of the heavens and his circuit under the ends of it. He's talking about the, the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun. And then he talks about in verse 6 at the end of it, and there's nothing hid from the heat thereof. So the entire earth gets to feel the heat of the sun. Now, I know there's places that feel the heat more than others. Uh, Oklahoma in the summer. <laughs> yes, we feel it quite well here, actually. Thank you very much. Um, but in other places, they don't feel it as much. You go to Alaska, and, and it's actually very, very pleasant during the summer. But then during the winter... They wish they could feel the sun a little bit more. Um, but the point is that everybody in the earth feels the heat of the sun, and everybody in this earth uh, can see the glory of God through His works that He has made. Now, as we think of the heavens that God made on the fourth day of creation, I can't help but agree with the songwriter writer when he penned these words, O oh Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. Oh, I see the stars, and I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. So we see there is no question here tonight that the works of his hands declare and display the glory of God. But what else displays and declares the glory of God? Well, we see... Secondly, tonight, the glory of God is displayed through His Word, through His words. Verse number 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. 
commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So the Word of God declares His glory just as well as the creation does. Well, let's talk about this very quickly tonight, and I've got uh, five little bonus points for you tonight. Uh, just to kind of go through and help us understand this a little bit better. First of all, uh, David gives us the description of the Scriptures. The description of the Scriptures. He describes the Word of God in several different ways. He uses actually six different ways to describe the Scriptures. First of all, he calls it, in verse number 7, the Law of the Lord. So the Word of God is also referred to the Law of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Um, it refers to the command, doesn't just uh, talk about the commands of God, but it includes all that God has revealed to teach and to guide us. So it's not just, you know, thou shalt and thou shalt, or thou shalt not. It's, it's also the, our guidebook for life. This is our blueprint for how to live a life that pleases God and is for our good. And you follow the word of God you're going to stay away from a lot of heartache and a lot of drama. And not, not a guarantee that you're not going to have any problems, that's for sure, but, but I'm telling you, this is the guidebook, and this is the law in which we should follow with our lives. So it's referred to the law of the Lord. It's also referred to the testimony of the Lord in verse number 7, the testimony of the Lord. The fact that God, this is God's uh, witness uh, to us. So it's referred to as the testimony of the Lord. It's also talked about as the statutes of the Lord in verse number 8. Also in verse number 8, it's regarding the, it's described as the commandments of the Lord. These are the, the different things that God has given us, the, the things that we should do and should not do. Um, he has given it uh, to us in that way. Then he's also referred to it as the fear of the Lord and also the judgments of the Lord. Of the Lord, so there's six different descriptions of the Scriptures here in these few verses. But then I want us to see here the definition of the Scriptures, because he kind of defines what these are, and he defines the Word of God here. Eight different definitions in this passage of the Word of God. David here says that the Word of God, the Scriptures, they are perfect in verse number 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. In other words, it is complete as a revelation of divine truth. It is complete as a rule of conduct. It's complete. It's done. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to take away from it. In fact, if we do, God promises to either uh, add uh, curses to us or take our uh, name out of the book of life. He, he takes it very seriously when we tamper with the Word of God. And so it's perfect, it's complete. And that's a, that's a good thing to help us understand tonight, is that the Word of God is perfect and complete. It's also sure. Verse 7 again, uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, and then going down, it says the testimony of the Lord is sure. It's sure. You know, when you are talking to somebody and they, they go, are you sure? And you say, I'm absolutely sure. I'm 110% sure. I mean, I promise I'm sure. Well, the Word of God is something that is far greater than any word of man. 
it's completely sure. Psalm 111 verse 7 says, The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They're settled. They're, they're right. They're, they're good. They're perfect. And a lot of these kind of mean a little bit similar as the others, but they are a little different to some degree. All right? What other, how else did he define the scriptures? It's perfect. It's sure. It's right. Verse number eight, the statutes of the Lord are right. They're correct. Psalm 33 and verse four, for the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. By the way, notice it doesn't say the word of the Lord is left. Just saying, okay. That's a little political joke for you. Cooper, I'm relying upon you, buddy. You got to help me out here. It's not, it's not happening, though. That was that bad. Okay, thank you. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, so the word of the Lord is right, and it means it's always correct. It's always going to... You argue with the Bible all you want, you're going to be wrong. Remember, let God be true and every man a liar. So God's word is right. Go ahead and argue with... Uh, there's, there's multiple ways to get to heaven. Go ahead and argue that. You're wrong. <laughs> there's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. Amen. Right? See, the word of God is right. Okay, what else? The word of God is pure. He defines it as pure. Uh, verse number 8 again. The commandments of the Lord, the second part of the verse, commandments of the Lord is, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's pure. Psalm 12 and verse number 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times. The words of the Lord are indeed pure. There's there's no defilement in it. There's there's no dirt in them. There's there's no minor little error here and there. No, no, no. It's completely pure. Um, My wife, one thing... One fun fact about my wife, actually it's a very sad fact for me, she does not like pickles. So please pray for her. (laughs) Does anybody else not like pickles? Oh. Oh. There are three people. Oh. Yes, I forgot. Brother Brent doesn't like pickles either. Um, Okay, so she despises pickles. I mean, anytime I have one, and I have some, uh, I have them once once in a while, as often as I can. But every time I hit it, she just kind of like has to back away from me. I mean, when I try to get close and tell her how much I love her, she's like, no, 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 no. You need to go brush your teeth, my friend. <laughs> and give it a day or so uh, for this to go away. Because she can tell, she can smell it. It's pretty intense. If I were to say, hey, Julie, here's a big glass of water, but there's one drop of pickle juice, would you like to have that glass of water? No, she would not, because it has been defiled by just one little drop of pickle juice. It's nasty to her. To me, it's, oh, yes, only one? Come on. (laughs) But to her, it would be defiled. That whole thing would be ruined. Look, if there were one error in the Bible... Wouldn't that kind of make you go, I just don't know. 
I don't know if I can trust this book. But the fact is, friend, there are zero errors in this book. No contradictions with over 40 authors written over a period of 1,500 years. Zero errors, zero contradictions. Amazing. Because the Word of God is pure. The Word of God is also, according to David here, clean. Verse number 9, the fear of the Lord is clean. The Word of God acts as a cleansing agent in our lives. I hope that, you know, how many of you had, uh, most of your parents in here, and uh, you've had children take baths or showers, and they come out, you come out, and you're like, did you use soap? They're like, oh, was I supposed to? (laughs) Like, didn't they know, they didn't know that was a rule, you know? They didn't know that was a thing. They just got wet, and they thought, done. I got a bath, and I got a shower. Well, look, God wants us to use not just physical soap, but the spiritual soap of the Word of God to cleanse us. Now, we're cleansed ultimately uh, by coming to Christ, and He forgives us all of our sins, yes. But on a regular basis, we need to come and uh, just like we do uh, physically, we need to uh, cleanse ourselves on a regular basis. John 15 and verse 5, Jesus said, Now you are clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. So again, the Word of God acts as a detergent in our spiritual lives, in our spiritual heart to keep us clean. The laver in the uh, tabernacle, remember that? Uh, When those priests would come and and, uh, do their ministry there in the tabernacle, they had to wash their hands in the laver, in that brazen laver. And that is a picture of, of us coming to the... Remember, it was also referred to as a mirror. It was made out of a mirror, that, uh, that labor. And that, of course, uh, talks about the fact that the Word of God is a mirror in our lives, a spiritual mirror for us to look at and see things that needs to get cleansed, and we go ahead and clean it. So the Word of God is defined here as clean. It's also defined as enduring. There's a couple more here. I'm trying to get through these. We'll see what we end up with. Enduring. The word of God, or the Bible says in verse number 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. I like what Peter said about the word of God, the lasting aspect of the word of God. He said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. So the word of God abides forever. It, it, it's not going to ever come a point where it's not relevant. I, I know that our country is shifting, and it, and it doesn't seem to be very popular in our day and age, but the word of God is, stands undaunted, and it does not change, and it will stand forever. It's enduring. And then the last, or there's two more here. The Bible is defined here as true. True. And it is the truth. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. Everything is true here, and everything that's against the word of God is false. Psalm 119, verse 160, Thy word is true from the beginning, 
and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. There's the enduring again, but thy word is true from the beginning, and I would say even the beginning of thy word is true, including when God says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That part is true, and everything afterwards, all the way to the end of Revelation, is true. And it's also righteous. Um, I like what the Bible says here in verse number 9, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous, all together. They're just righteous altogether. So that's the uh, definitions of the scriptures. But let's look thirdly here at the design of the scriptures. Uh, the word of God was not given just to increase our knowledge. Though hopefully we do have a good knowledge of the word of God. Hopefully we do have a biblical knowledge in our hearts and minds. But it wasn't just to increase our knowledge, it was meant to change our lives. Well, how does it do that? Well, there's, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five ways in which the scriptures change our lives from this passage right here alone. First of all, it converts the soul. Verse number seven, back up to the verse number seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You see, the the scriptures were written so that you and I would be saved. You and I would have a relationship with God. You and I could know that our sins are forgiven and that we have a home in heaven. The word of God was written so that we would uh, turn from darkness. The Bible says, or Paul told Timothy, he said, Hey, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He said, you've known the Holy Scriptures, and they're able to make you wise into salvation. They're able to convert your soul. That's why I try to preach a lot of Scripture, because I can't convert your soul, but the Word of God can. Uh, my words aren't that great, but God's words can convert a soul. I remember the verse in Romans where Paul said, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, the word of God uh, brings faith and it brings conversion of the soul. So it changes us by converting the soul. It also next makes the simple wise. In verse number seven, again, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Look, if you're looking for wisdom, certainly God invites us to boldly come to him and ask for wisdom. And he promises to give us uh, abundant, uh, abundant wisdom. He, he promises to give us liberally uh, the wisdom that he has. Praying for it is not the only way to get wisdom, though. By getting into God's word and knowing God's word and applying God's word to our life, that's where uh, wisdom can be found. So it makes the simple wise if we are in the Word of God, if we are applying the Word of God to our life. So it makes the simple wise. It also rejoices the heart. I like this one in verse number um, 8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You're going through a difficult time. You're going through a stressful scenario in your life. You've been down can I encourage you to go to the scriptures? They will rejoice your heart like nothing else will. 
say, no, I need to go visit with my friend at Starbucks and we need to vent over a, bun- a, a venti. Is that what they are? Venti? That's a, that's a size of a drink. A venti cappuccino. There we go. Is that right? Okay. I'm not a Starbucks guy. Can you tell? I go next door to Chick-fil-A. That's where I go. But you say, well, no, I need, to, I need to vent all my problems, and then I'll feel better about myself. Yeah, I mean, that may help a little. And, and, and talking to a friend may encourage you to some degree, and that's, that's okay, but, but it, will not, it will not rejoice your heart like the Word of God can. Psalm 119 and verse 162 says this, I rejoice at thy word, and listen to this, as one that findeth great spoil. I mean, imagine you're driving along and you see like this treasure chest on the side of the road. And you're like, that kind of looks like a treasure chest. I'm going to stop. No, I'm not. That's dumb. There's nothing in it. You know what? But what if there is? So you stop. You get out, you check it, you open it up, it's unlocked, and there's $4 million in there. And you go, no way. And you're looking around. People are walking by. Does this belong to you? No, no, no. So it's mine? Sure, must be. I just, I just found $4 million on the side of the road. Amazing. Okay, that's ridiculous, obviously. Um, now, $3 million, that may be a little more realistic. No, it's all... Re- it, it, the, the thing is, is you would be so happy. You would be... Texting everybody, I just found $4 million. You Maybe, wait a minute, I probably shouldn't tell everybody because they're going to ask me for money now. And so I'm going to just kind of keep this, but inside you're jumping up and down and you're having this great personal party. You're rejoicing. But you know, the psalmist said, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. So when you go to the word of God, it should be like, man... I just found some real, special, valuable nuggets. I found great treasure in the Word of God. The problem is we kind of go, oh, i got to read my Bible today. I'm supposed to read my Bible. Oh, pastor asked us to read Psalm 19 today. I better do that. And we don't, we don't look at it like, this is a great treasure that I get to read. And uh, we here, with all the technology and here in America, with the freedom that we have, We really take the Word of God for granted. We don't look at it as finding great spoil. And yet, this is a treasure that should rejoice our hearts. Okay, what else does the Word of God do? What else is is it designed to do? It's also designed to enlighten the eyes. In verse number 8, again, at the end of it, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. I can't tell you how many times as I read the Word of God, it kind of things, the light bulbs kind of come off and start coming on in my head. I'm going, okay. And it starts connecting some dots, even from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It starts making things make sense. And even things that I'm going through in my own life, it helps those things make sense. It enlightens the eyes. It also warns the servants. Verse 11, moreover, by them is thy servant warned. I can't tell you, and, and, and I don't know anybody can, can tell us, how many of God's people have been restrained from committing great sin because they took time in God's Word. Because they read something and it was like, ooh, I better not do that. 
It warns the servant. It acts as a restraining influence in all of our lives. So that's the design of the scriptures. But let's look here at the third or fourth one here, the desire of the scriptures. The desire of the scriptures. Verse number 10. Here David said, There to be desired, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Um, I like gold. <laughs> I'd like to have a lot of it, wouldn't you? But the Bible says, David desired the word of God more than gold, even more than much fine gold. And then he said, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. It just is sweet to my taste when I take the time to do this. And isn't that true? When you do take the time to be in God's word, when you, when you really do get into, uh, you're reading something that really hits you, where you're going th- what you're going through right then and there, it is a sweet thing that, unless you do it, you really don't know. What's that expression? If you don't know, you don't know, or something like that. Whatever the cool people are saying. I'm not a cool person, so I don't say that. But if you don't know, you don't know. And if you're not in it, you don't really understand. And I can't even put it into words. But, but David's right. It is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Um, Psalm 119 in verse number 72 says, The law of thy mouth, or in other words, the word of God, is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Now, wouldn't you, rather, wouldn't you like to have thousands of golds and silvers? Now, how much is a, an ounce of gold worth right now? Does anybody kind of have a ballpark in their mind? 1300 Probably about $1,300. Thousands of those. I, I wouldn't mind having a thousand of those. Silver's going up too. Or at least it was at one point. So I really don't know what I'm talking about. But we all wouldn't mind having thousands of golds and silver, right? Thousands of gold and silver. But the Bible says the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Later in Psalm 119, he says, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. I hope that we have a desire for the word of God like that too. That we would say, I would rather have the scriptures than more money. I'd rather have God than gold. But I fear there is a good many Christians who would rather have gold than God. And it shows in their priorities. Because, oh, well, I would be in church, but i got to make money. Uh, what you're saying is you love gold more than you love God. There was a man in the Bible whose life was completely, his priorities shifted completely 180 degrees. We talked about him a few weeks ago. His name was Zacchaeus. Here was a man who loved gold. Then all of a sudden he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, And then all of a sudden, now he loved God more than he loved gold. And he was willing to give a lot of it away. He gave half of it away. And then he said, look, I want to restore fourfold those who I falsely uh, accused, falsely took from. Because God was now his priority. What's your priority? The word of God should be our priority in our lives. 
as believers, the desire of the Scriptures. And then the fifth thought here is the delight of the Scriptures. And we'll end with this tonight because um, I want to take some time for the, the last thought. But the delight of Scriptures. The delight of Scriptures. And that's found in verse number 11. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. We already mentioned that. And here's the last part of that verse. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. Wow. So when we keep the word of God, God promises that there's a great reward. Well, I thought we've been talking about in the life of Joseph that when you do right, sometimes it means you go to prison. Yeah, sometimes it does. But it doesn't mean that Joseph didn't have any blessings along the way. In fact, the Lord blessed him mightily in every scenario that he found himself in. Those were the rewards of doing right, and, and certainly the uh, clear conscience and the ability to lay his head on his pillow knowing that he did what was right. There is tremendous delight. There is tremendous promise for those of us who decide to keep the Word of God. There is great reward. Here's what the Lord told Joshua as he was about ready to take over uh, leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. Joshua 1.8 this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. In other words, and in keeping of them, there is great reward. So the word of God is not meant just so that we know what it says, although I hope we do. Uh, we need to be Bereans of old and be in the Word of God and s searching daily uh, whether those things be so, and we need to be good students of the Word of God. But not just so that we can win a Bible trivia battle, but so that we can live a life that pleases God. So that we can live a life that declares glory to God. And we'll get a little bit more into that next time. But for now... We'll stop there, and uh, thank you for being here today.